Hello everyone, I'm Jamie Bricker and welcome to Matters of Principle. This twice monthly series is designed for school principals to help support them in this very exciting and yet very challenging role in education. Now I'm a retired school principal, as is my co-host Jack Barkley. A big welcome Jack and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion on some more key issues for school administrators. Thanks, Jamie. Our last podcast focused on developing a school plan and addressing key areas in the plan that would apply to any board or district and really to any school. As we mentioned two weeks ago, planning is obviously very important for sustainable school success, but the success of the plan always comes down to the principal's commitment to monitoring it. So today's podcast will be all about how school leaders can effectively monitor the implementation and growth of the school plan. After all, the bottom line is that which doesn't get monitored doesn't get done. Well, and clearly, Jack, the principles have got to be the driving force behind this ongoing commitment. I mean, they're the ones who have to prioritize monitoring. As we all know, they are the ones ultimately accountable for all aspects of this plan. And you're right, Jamie. I mean, the, the monitoring, I think, from experience needs to be very specific and very targeted. And it really needs to be seen with an open mind by the principal and through an objective lens. I think one of the things that I learned from monitoring plans was that you're going to learn things about yourself, staff, students in the school, and you can't be afraid to learn those things and, and step away from them. So you have to have that objective lens in, in looking at things. But you're right, though. You also have to have the self-confidence to really kind of embrace that, the kind of that self-reflective piece, which is going to come, if you're being honest and open once again, throughout this monitoring process. Absolutely. So, Jamie, in terms of, let's start with academic monitoring. And really, you know, in theory around academic monitoring, I talked, we just mentioned setting specific targets and timelines. Uh, we've often referred to SMART goals and S being those specific goals that we talk about. If, you, if you're not specific enough, you're trying to take on too much and your plan can end up being ineffective. Right? So you, you want to create those goals and you want to create a situation. We talk about gap analysis where we it's that gap between where we are and where we want to be. And I think when you're looking at this, you have to be realistic and but reasonable in your expectations uh, with your staff. Well, you're talking about a gap analysis, Jack, and a huge part of that, of course, is like, what's the starting line? Like we get so caught up in this. It's, it's, it's such kind of a got to get this done kind of mentality because everyone involved is generally very task oriented that we, we fixate on the finish line. But the problem is you need the starting line and you need that baseline data. And as you mentioned, it's got to be objective and it's got to be clear, but we have to know where we're starting from because I've learned the hard way as a, as a first, second year principal. No doubt about it. I learned that really the hard way that once your school plan begins to evolve and once the weeks and months start to go by, you can't possibly go back to kind of the origin of your plan and try to get any kind of bias-free baseline. Like It's just not possible because it's, it's no longer the case. And in terms of uh, setting these clear targets, a big part of it, of course, has got to be collaboratively set. They're not just randomly imposed by the principal. 
And as you mentioned, I think they've got to be both challenging but but reasonable. And another big thing to me is it's so easy to think more data is better and better and better. And then you just get, especially nowadays, Jack, as you know, like in 20 minutes at your computer screen, you can you can get endless reams of data on anything. But I love that old phrase about paralysis by analysis, because that's really what can easily befall any school team and any any principal, frankly. And that, of course, also can, what also kind of gets you buried is simply, as you mentioned earlier, having too many goals. So too much data, trying to satisfy too many goals is frankly a recipe for disaster. And it's more certainly, certainly doesn't always mean better. No, and Jamie, we've talked about that one inch, going deep with that one inch, and again, collaboratively, collaboratively get to that one inch with your staff and with your school narrative and the pieces that would drive that. But you're so right. Falling into that trap of taking on too much, having too many goals, it can frustrate your staff it can make them feel that they're spinning their wheels and that they're not going anywhere. They're not getting better at anything. So once you get better at one thing, then you can move on to another goal. Now, this the second part, Jamie, we talk about theory, but then we also, you know, we, we need to think of it in a practical format or the application. And principals have to ensure that targets are being attained. And if they're not, if you're not reaching your goal, why? And I think that I think that's the key word of the whole process is why, as you say, everyone can look at the numbers and say, well, we exceeded these this target. We're not quite at that target. But as you say, the real key is why. And then what does that mean moving forward? Right. And, and that why might not be apparent right away. But that's that's where I felt with uh, our really good, hard, productive conversations about why with staff were so valuable. And you might not know that why going in, but after talking it through with your team and with your staff, you you, you figure that out and you get there. Now, you and I have talked about, uh, I mean, I learned from you and from uh, other admin about regular walkthroughs and, and the look-fors, and that really, that's one of the most effective monitoring applications that I can really think of, is you're, you're present in somebody's room, uh, you you're, you're have look-fors, um, perhaps such as uh, are, are things being co-constructed, uh, are things, are, are, are learning goals well-known, uh, and that you don't surprise your staff with it because it makes you feel like you're working together and you're not looking over their shoulder trying to catch them at doing something that, that, that's a problem. You're, you're, you're trying to be there to support. So when you do this, you're more in tune with what's going on in your building you have those opportunities for those quick conversations at the right time with a staff member or with students, and, and, and it helps you discover what need isn't being met. Maybe the learning goals aren't posted. Maybe they're not clear. You know, why don't the students know them? You know, and, and so on. Are they even evident in, in a room and so on and that? So that would lead me to say, what resources do I need to harness or gather for my staff so that they can uh, better be supported? To support their students. Oh, you're so right, Jack. I mean, there's some really key look-fors and walk-throughs, but a big, big one to me that really kind of, frankly, my lens changed over the years was the whole idea of being the principal, walking into a classroom, and kind of uh, 
really seeing student engagement in action. And when I was a first year principal or whatever, I admitted I was mesmerized by kind of silence or compliance and thought to myself, boy, these kids are working quietly. Isn't that great? They must be learning a lot. And then I, you know, weeks, months, years later, kind of give my head a shake and say, no, 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 no. What were they working on is the key. Were they working on some mindless fill-in-the-blank worksheet or some, you know, kind of once again mindless coloring thing versus really rich tasks? So, so like my whole definition of student engagement really changed over the years. And then another big one, and I know you and I have talked about this many times, is the fact that I think a lot of administrators and frankly a lot of teachers, they still kind of equate engaged students with quiet students. And of course, to my mind, that's not the case at all in many situations, because engagement requires passion, which can lead to debate, can lead to agreement, can lead to disagreement. So I want to stress, it's not some kind of verbal free-for-all by any stretch. It's focused, very purposeful dialogue among two, four, six students, whatever the case may be. And my other kind of really important lesson for me to learn as a walkthrough school leader was initially years ago, I'd ask a student, so kind of what are you doing? And then I realized, no, 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 no. The key question is, what are you learning? And then as you mentioned earlier, Jack, is that student aware of you know, his or her learning goal? And maybe the most important question of all, what do you do if you're feeling stuck? <clears throat> and you're not confident proceeding with the task, boy, that's a real telltale as to, you know, kind of A, how rich is the task, and B, how clearly was the student involved, and as you say, the learning goals, and did they understand the process? Right, Jamie, and you know, when I when I hear you talk about all of these items in the monitoring process, that walk through and and that what you see and, and what you hear in the classroom is so, so important. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not being repetitive here, but what we're looking at what's on the student's desk. What are they engaged in or not engaged in? You know, and what is that conversation that's happening at their table with their, with their table mates or their group members uh, and so forth? And, and like you say, if they can tell you what do they do if they, they don't get something, that is so, so important rather than just sitting and struggling there. So I think, you know, we, we, Think of academic monitoring. It requires that combination of cold, hard facts, like we talked about. It's data-driven, and, and we're in a data-rich society, so that quantitative data is there, but you have to be really selective about what data you're going to use and, and what you're going to use it for, as well as that qualitative data, that routine, targeted observations and anecdotals that you so well described there uh, that, that we would look for in, in the classroom. So this need for quantitative and qualitative data balance, it applies to the whole monitoring process and really all the main areas of the school plan. Well, as you're talking, Jack, I, what really kind of hit me was, as you recall, uh, maybe 10 years ago now, I think many school boards got very big on, quote, faces on the data, right. which, of course, serve an important purpose. But I think, frankly, over time, you're absolutely right. I think the fixation on the quantitative data sometimes just went, went to the nth degree 
and it really kind of minimized the impact of the faces right. or the qualitative right. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Because, of course, the data is so kind of, as you say, it's a cold, hard fact number. It's kind of easy to generate. But really kind of getting beneath the data or beyond the data into that quote-unquote face, that's a huge part of it. And that, of course, also is a huge mental health component to it. And I, looking at it as a, as a school leader, obviously, uh, students who have real kind of attendance issues, and especially a student who has like recent changes to their attendance, you know, all of a sudden they're missing two, three days at a time. And then, you know, and that wasn't the case in the past. And of course, if students are not attending, well, then finding out, are they ill? Are they avoiding school? Is there some issue at home? Because a lot of times, as you know, like things like spotty attendance, boy, I found it can just be the tip of the iceberg for a litany of other issues. And that's where it's important for the school leader to not kind of just say, oh, well, he's, he or she's been sick a few days. Like we have to kind of be, you know, really be on the ball there. And that can very well trigger some important conversations um, at the personal level with the student and parents and caregivers, but also at the, at the school level with staff members, the teachers of that student, just to get a kind of a, you know, the full picture. Well, and Jamie, don't you see like the principal's role in this too? And I, I really glad we're touching on the, the mental health piece. Is is really maybe not always having the answer right away, but but at least discovering that there's a an attendance issue here and finding the supports or connecting the family to the supports. It might be through a community agency with your social worker or other people on your school team that would help that family out uh, right away. And and you know, as we know, we were often in schools where if one student stayed home and there were two or three siblings, those siblings often stayed home with the family to make it easier on the family as well. So you really, time was of the essence to try and figure out what was going on. Oh, no question. They are very time sensitive. No, no question about that. And that whole idea of kind of checking in, as we've mentioned with other things in our role as principal, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's, it's a real kind of process, no doubt about it. And we should really know those, I would call them the interesting stories, kind of among our students and among our families, where, and, and interesting is a pretty broad term, but things that we really should know about certain family dynamics or whatever the case may be, just to and always kind of have them in our in the front of our mind. And then if something like attendance issues pop up, we, we can kind of align things. Like, oh, yeah, right. I should pursue this uh, in this direction. But I think, Jack, even more fundamental is I think it's a really important that principals as much as possible get to know every student's name. And I realize, I realize in schools of hundreds and hundreds of students, that's not possible. But as much as possible, it's wonderful in the classrooms, in the hallways, on the yard. And it's a big deal, especially for younger kids, if the principal calls him or her by name. I, mean, I couldn't agree more with that. And, uh, you know, I we think about that situation a lot. And I, I'm not exactly where I heard it, but I, kn I know I've heard before that many students will go the entire day at school without hearing their name. And I, I find that's that to me, that's troubling. And, and, you know, we know, you and I both know the positive effect uh, of, hear, of hearing one's name has on your day or your situation. Well, that makes you seem special. And of course, all of our kids are special, but you're so right. And I look back as you're talking about that, Jack, and I, I have a very uh, humbling professional moment that I, I just kind of shake my head at looking back 
kind of uh, from years ago where I really blew it in that regard. And I was not yet an administrator. I was a grade eight teacher. And in the latter portion of June, obviously the year is winding down. And uh, the student uh, wanted to stay in one day at lunch and he and I had this private conversation. And to kind of set the scene for you quickly, Jack, like at this particular school, the uh, the school mon- uh, moniker uh, was everyone in the school was a coyote. Okay, so that was the all of our teams, et cetera, were coyotes. And so whenever there was a, a monthly assembly for years and years and years for kids who had done really well in the arts or athletics or academics or whatever, they got a howl. So that became something kids were really aware of and they really kind of, you know, desired, obviously. Well, this boy, uh, like I say, with a couple of weeks left in his uh, elementary school career, been in the building now, including JK, for 10 years. And he looked at me very in a very sullen manner. And he said, quote, I never got a howl. And that still twists in the pit of my gut. I was uh, certainly part of the problem. And looking back over 10 years, obviously, you know, it was kind of a collective thing where he was one of these students who, quote unquote, on the surface, wouldn't have really stood out in any given area. But for heaven's sake, he had many positive qualities. And we certainly had to adjust our framework of recognition or whatever the case may be to ensure that everyone got genuine howls at different times throughout the year and throughout the years. So I will never, never forget that. Um, And another thing is in terms of both students and staff, because staff, of course, very much their mental health is obviously extremely important too. that any, I would say, you're not agree, Jack, like to me for Anyone in the school, and it could be parents, frankly, I mean, any stakeholder, as school leaders, you've always got to be on the lookout for what I would call outlier behaviors or attitudes or comments from people that they just don't normally say or do or make. Well, that could be their kind of their their cry out for, for support. And that's our job to recognize that. And as you said earlier, follow through. Right, Jamie, and, and you know, I, when I hear that story about the howl, when I when I hear your comments there, it it makes me think about that checking in that really requires principals to actively ask people, students, staff, what they need or uh, you know how they're feeling and so on. And you and I have talked about servant leadership before, but I really think that's at the heart of it is because we're there to sort of provide that support, provide resources, provide many things for our, uh, the members in the, in the school community. And then, and, and as we say, that the school leader then, if they're going to ask you what you need and you're told what is needed, you have to respond and address that in a, in a timely manner. You know, it might be questions, answers, or concerns, but you can't just let that hang there. You have to, you have to address it. And I think it's also important, too, part of the addressing is initiating and engaging in what, quite frankly, can be challenging conversations. And in subsequent podcasts, we will talk about those different types of those conversations. But as you say, you you certainly, as a school leader, those things just can't be ignored. We have to very much embrace them and uh, I think really have an empathetic ear. And like I say, the different variations of those conversations we will discuss down the road. It makes me think, too, uh, along the lines of monitoring, one of the things that contributes to that 
positive mental health for everybody, staff and students, is that idea of positive school climate. And, you know, one might ask, how do you monitor that? Well, to me, that's something that you live and see every day in your building. If you're that, if the, you're the observant leader, you're going to notice what is said through conversations with people, with students, staff, visitors to the building. So by listening to that, observing yourself each day, every school should have that feel or that sense of calm, that welcomeness, or that routine and order when a visitor walks in the front doors uh, and the office. And, and along those lines, students and staff within that environment, they have to have people that they can trust, or at least what we say is one trusted ally in the school environment. So if you're a stakeholder in the whole process and you're mentally healthy, you, you need to be aware of what good mental health really is. And it's important for that leader to define that for your staff and age appropriately for students. Excellent point for students in particular to, to get some kind of framework re-mental health to get a much better idea and like so they get a better appreciation that they are struggling. Right, Jamie. Because I think in many cases, in many different kind of personality types, it's kind of the idea, well, put on a brave front. Like, I don't want to, quote, show a so-called weakness. So I think you're absolutely right. Now, another pillar in the plan that certainly deserves the attention of monitoring is the whole idea of equity in your building. And we, I know we have talked before, and people that are in special education with us, in my experience there, reminded me that it, how you treat special education in your school is a real strong telltale or a sign of how you will deal with everyone and how you will deal with equity. It really is the pulse of your school. Oh, well said. And Jack, uh, in our previous podcast along that line, you raised an excellent metaphor about helping all kids look over a fence and how some kids just look over on can look over it on their own. Some kids would need to stand on one box. Some kids stand on two boxes, three boxes, whatever the case may be. And as you also mentioned at that time, and it's so true, well, looking over that fence and helping everyone do so, that's the essence of the whole public educational system. And, you know, I think once again, that there's just different number of quote boxes provided and required for different students. Absolutely, Jamie. And, and you know, I, I can remember talking uh, to students and to families who were somewhat resistant about uh, receiving accommodations or help for something because it might make them feel different or labeled. Uh, and I, I, I would often refer to a couple of examples. We, we talked about glasses, for example. It's a real common accommodation that a lot of people wear. You just take a look around your school and you notice certainly teachers and so on that have glasses and yet, and your students who do. And really, isn't that an accommodation that we wear so that we can kind of level that playing field and that we can see as well as everybody else? Another one that I think, another example is is the entry ramp into your, into your building that allows access beside the stairs. Well, y you might think, okay, that's only for somebody today that can't walk or that might need uh, a wheelchair to access the building, and that makes it easier. But really that ramp can be beneficial for everyone, right? It removes the barrier of the stairs when you're when you're uh, moving things into the building. Um, you know, if, if that staff member breaks a leg and needs that ramp for a little bit of time, it's there for them. So it's another sense of accommodation for, for everybody and a way of getting through past barriers. Now, the other 
The other point here too is I know we've really focused on in the last couple of years, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but but we really as leaders need to be aware that our outcomes or our results of the data that we look at are in proportion uh, with all of the different groups that might be in your building. And that could be you know, special needs to the mainstream group of kids. It can be your racialized students and, and so forth. Uh, you know, you, and what I'm saying by that is the percentage of students achieving standard or graduation rates or suspensions as examples should be the same for all student groups. There shouldn't be one student group dominating over another. Or again, you're asking yourself those questions of why is that happening? And so, it, it, and if it's not, if your outcomes are not proportional, you need to identify the problem and say to yourself, why are our results not in proportion? Why are some groups of students struggling over other groups? And what do we need to do to move our results to more proportion? Well, would you not agree, Jack, like to produce truly proportional outcomes, it's so important like to always remember that old saying, which is just so apt, that fairness often does not equate with sameness. Absolutely, Jamie. That, that's that's so true, and it, it, that goes back to the the box issue and looking over the fence, right? It's it's some people need more than one box, and and that's that's the fair part of it, and and it, it's not the same where everybody gets a box, right? So effectively monitoring equity initiatives, it reinforces that importance of looking far deeper than the standard types of fairly superficial data that we might see. Well, in terms of data, Jack, we've talked about a lot of different kind of uh, types over the last few minutes, but I think as we're kind of wrapping things up, we should spend a few minutes really looking at the, the two main types and appreciating their, their value because they both certainly play an important role in monitoring and evaluating the impact of really each focus within the school plan. And that, of course, is qualitative and quantitative data. Now, in terms of qualitative, it's gathered typically from things like attitudinal surveys and lots of observations by all stakeholders, including principals. And that's why we do so many uh, walkthroughs. And that's why we spend a whole lot of our time in the yard and the hallways. But also, I would call it kind of formal and informal dialogue. So whether it's with staff or students or parents, there are those set structured meetings. But I frankly got even more qualitative data from all the informal dialogue those little kind of 30 second chats in the hallway or with students in class or whatever and i admit jack it's been a real kind of uh focus of mine i guess over the years that i think the qualitative data the so-called soft data it really kind of bothers me that it gets far too kind of overlooked and it's it's too easy to kind of minimize because it just doesn't have that, you know, rock hard number attached to it in many cases. Um, but it's 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 very important though that we need to appreciate and recognize all of the great feedback that qualitative data provides us, and we've got to receive it with once again an, an open mind. Um, because as you've mentioned earlier, and it's so true, it's way way too easy for principals to only see th things through the, their their particular lens, and I think kind of in getting qualitative data, kind of wrapping it up here, the bottom line to me is it, it provides a broader lens. And with qualitative data, it always kind of really comes back to the question, is the principal's perception, in fact, others' reality? 
That's that's well said, Jamie. I mean, you know, I, I, I agree with you. You can get so much out of those examples that you just described. I mean, the quantitative part is important. Your office referrals, the frequency of them and the type and the who's and why's are certain of students being routinely in conflict. They tell part of the picture. Are specific students having a really rough stretch, you know, as either that aggressor or the target? This type of feedback gives a narrower, narrower lens from what you were talking about, what you observe. It's important, but you can't get caught up in in just that. I mean, principals, I think if I'm hearing you, principals need to work with their staff to generate and analyze the relevant quantitative and qualitative data on an ongoing basis throughout the school year. Bottom line is both types of data, highly impactful, can be highly relevant, but I think we have to routinely use both types. Because the big key is what is done with this data and how it is used to revise and refine future versions of the school plan, because as we've mentioned several times, this school plan is truly constantly evolving. Yeah, Jamie, that fact can't be forgotten. It's, it's real important to, to emphasize that, yes, effective school plans will be frequently tweaked, modified, adjusted. Uh, that's why we've often heard them referred to as living, breathing documents. But when we say evolving, we're not talking about fundamental mid-year change in focus or priorities though we want to stay stay the course and stay on track you raise it oh that's a key distinction a key distinction jack because we both know uh back in our teaching careers when quote our our own principles fell into this trap at times and you and i have talked about ourselves you know making try to make sure we didn't fall into it and that being that principles who trigger major changes in school direction every few months, or I hate to say it, in some cases, every few weeks. Well, not surprisingly, they just frustrate and frankly burn out their staff very, very quickly uh, because people are, you know, they don't know where they're going and uh, there is no leadership. And let's face it, COVID, understandably, has all stakeholders stressed out enough right now. It is still very, very impactful in the school system. So this is the year of all years where people need a clear plan. Now, over another issue is that over time, understandably also, that no one truly buys into anything because they've learned that this new focus will have a very short shelf life. And once again, as the weeks and months go by, this type of erratic school leadership understandably generates mistrust and chaos rather than genuine staff commitment. Yeah, Jamie, the bottom line is that plans can sound great in theory but frankly mean nothing without a committed application and staying the course. And, and everyone involved needs to be truly committed. Now, our next podcast in a couple of weeks will focus on the very real and quite common challenge of how principals can effectively address staff members who are simply not buying in to the school plan. And of course, that, that is just a reality. We've talked a lot about the last uh, month, month, month and a half about the plan and different aspects of it, but you have to ensure everyone really has their oar in the water. And that will be our focus in a couple of weeks. So thanks everyone for joining us today. And a reminder that if you have any questions or comments, as always, please email us at affectiveleadership at gmail.com. We encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other school leaders and a reminder to follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to connecting with you again in two weeks on Matters of Principle.